Would you please turn in your Bibles this morning to Romans chapter 8? Romans chapter 8, we're going to be looking at verses 31 through 39 this morning. Page 1301, if you're using that Bible provided for you under the seat in front of you. We are going through the engagement project on Wednesday nights, and it's such a wonderful series, and I'm fully invested in it, just devouring it. So I've decided to teach on the main passages coming from those Wednesday night sessions here on Sunday morning. It's sort of related to the engagement project, but not directly tied to it. So it's not like you have to be here on Wednesday to understand this Sunday. This is a standalone Bible study, and we come to what I think is one of the most encouraging passages in all of the New Testament concerning God's great love for his people. Let's pray. Father, as we turn our attention now to your word, I pray that you would bless this time. I pray that you would greatly encourage your people. Help us to believe what your word says, act upon it, even when we can't fully understand it. even when sometimes it just seems too good to be true. But we know it is true. And we'll grab hold of it. So by the power of your Holy Spirit now, speak to each one. In Jesus' name, amen. Please know this. My brother and sister in Christ, please know this. You are deeply and profoundly loved by God. God loves you individually. Right now, as a child of God, you exist now and forever within the security, the safety, the peace, and the joy of God's love for you. And don't ever forget that, no matter how you might feel some days or whatever circumstances you might go through, God loves you. And Paul speaks of that great love that God has for us in this marvelous passage. Look at verse 31. Paul says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, Who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? That passage speaks of many elements to God's love for his people. And I just want to go through it 
briefly and break it down simply how God loves us. And number one, please notice that God loves you and he's for you. He's for you. It says in verse 31, if God is for us, if you're a born again Christian here this morning, God is for you. And you could even put your own name in that verse. God is for Terry Gray. God is for you. Put your name. That is God's constant outlook towards you. He's for you. He wants the very best for you. God is not against you. It's sad. Some Christians sort of feel like that. They feel like, oh, God's against me. He's always up there in heaven looking down upon me. He's frowning. He's so disappointed. He's shaking his head. No, don't think that way. Don't live your Christian life that way, ever. God is for you individually. God wants the very best for you. The best version of you is God's goal. He's for you. Now, please understand something. God wants the best for you the way he defines what's best for you. Certainly, this does not mean that as born-again Christians, we live life any way we want to live. That we do whatever is going to make ourselves happy, even if it's some kind of sinful activity. And I've heard people say that. I know it's wrong, but it makes me happy, and God's for me. He wants me to be happy. God is not for sinful activity. He's not for unrighteous behavior. God is for the best version of you. And you know what's best for you? Holiness. Purity. Righteousness. Deliverance from sinful activity. Pure, safe, clean, living. God wants that for you. You know, when you gave your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, when you placed your faith in him, you got saved and you were born again. And do you realize that that began a work in you by which God wants to transform you and change you? And he's committed to that. We read in Philippians chapter 1, Paul says, I'm confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. He is absolutely for you. To make you the best you. And never forget that. So you might go through these weird circumstances in life and think, what's going on? Listen, God is using everything in your life for your good. We're told that a couple verses earlier. Romans 8, 28. We know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purposes. Understand, you belong to him. He's for you. That's his constant outlook. 
Secondly, notice God loves you and he's going to protect you. He's your protector. He's your defender, your shield. Again, in verse 31, it says, If God is for us, who can be against us? God's with you. Who can be against you? Now, Paul certainly doesn't mean that the Christian does not experience opposition or hostility, that we don't have anyone that's against us. That's not true. We certainly do. There are many forces against us. The devil hates you, wishes to discredit and destroy your life. The demonic horde hates you. In many ways, the secular, ungodly, worldly system is against you. Sadly, many unbelievers who are deceived in their unbelief are against you. We have many enemies. What this promise says is they won't prevail against you. Paul isn't saying that the Christian has no opponents. The point is that it makes no difference who is against us. They cannot prevail. So long as we are aware of the greatness of our God and resting in his sovereign care. Add up all of the opponents on the other side against you. Add them all up. Weigh them against our sovereign, all-powerful God, and there's no match. There's no problem in your life that's bigger than God. He's your protector. He's your God. He loves you. You know, as a brother, as a Christian, you are a child. You're a son, a daughter in the family of God. Parent, is there anything you wouldn't do to protect your kid? Is there any distance that you wouldn't travel? Is there any mountain that you wouldn't climb to protect your baby, your son, your daughter? Hey, you're in the family of God. And he loves you. And his hand of protection is upon you. Some might say, well, what about the tragic stories we hear every now and then of a Christian who went home to be with the Lord early or a tragic death of some sort? Listen, there are a lot of things that happen in this life that we don't get all the answers to. But know this, if you belong to God, your life is in his hands. And when it's time for you to go home, you're going to go home. And you know what home is? Well, let me tell you, it's way better than here. You are safe, covered, protected in the shelter of God himself, now and forever. Never forget that. Number three, God loves you and he's your provider. He will take care of you. Verse 32, what an amazing verse. It says, he who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? God loves you and he is going to provide 
for you now and forever. And we know that because he already gave his most prized possession in heaven for you. God has already given the highest, the best, for you personally. We're sinners. We're hopeless sinners. We're separated from God. There's nothing we can do to save ourselves. God in his love for you provided his son. The Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, became man, left heaven, came to this earth, went to the cross, bore my sins, paid the price for my sins, your sins, rose again that third day. Peter, speaking of our redemption and our salvation as Christians, says in 1 Peter 1, Please know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers. No, you weren't redeemed with that. You were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. If you ever question God's love for you as a Christian, Think of the cross. Think of how valuable you are, of how much you cost. God's son took your sin, died in your place, rose again. God's always already given the best. And so Paul here, he's arguing from the greater to the lesser. If God's already given you the best, what makes you think he won't give you everything else? He's going to take care of you. He's going to give you everything you need now, all the way to eternity, future. He will provide for you. If you bought a very expensive watch for your spouse at an exclusive jewelry store, you don't think the jeweler would deny you the box, do you? Or if you bought your kid a nice bicycle and the, and the tires ran out of air, would you be a cheapskate? No, no, no air for you. If you've already given the greater, of course you're going to be given the lesser. And so God, in his great love for you, will graciously give you all the things that you need. By the way, it's needs, not greeds. Beware of the prosperity, health, and wealth hucksters. They like to use this verse, you know, to turn Christianity into this vending machine where you can order God to give you Cadillacs and mansions and the winning number the lotteries. Did that work out for anybody Friday? Not greeds. Needs. Your father in heaven knows exactly what you need. 
now and forever. And he will provide everything that you need. Everything that prepares us for our glorious heavenly homecoming. J.I. Packer, I love it, he summed up this great promise. One day we shall see that nothing, literally nothing, which could have increased our eternal happiness has been denied us. And that nothing, literally nothing, that could have reduced that happiness has been left with us. God will cut out or add everything that will give you the ultimate eternal happiness. He loves you. He will provide for all that you need. Beautiful. Number four, God loves us and he's our defender. Two questions are asked in verse 33 and verse 34. Paul says, who shall bring a charge against God's elect? Who shall bring a charge against Terry Gray? Who shall bring a charge against you? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It's Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. So these verses, think of it this way, they take us into a heavenly courtroom. There you are in the courtroom of heaven. You stand before God who is the judge. And we know that Satan is the accuser. Satan is the prosecuting attorney. He takes you before the holy divine judge and he accuses you of all your sins. Terry Gray's rotten. He tells God of all the awful things that Terry has thought or said or done. He accuses us. And you know what? All the accusations are true, they're valid. We're all sinful. We stand in that courtroom filthy. Before a holy God. You know, we studied uh, the book of Zechariah earlier this year on Wednesday nights. And in chapter 3, Zechariah has this vision. And in this vision, he sees the high priest of Israel, Joshua, brought into the heavenly courtroom. The high priest representing all of Israel. And Satan's accusing him. And Joshua is guilty. In fact, it tells us in that passage that he's wearing filthy, disgusting robes. And the Hebrew in that, in that passage is, we're talking vile filth, dirty diaper filth. There he stands. And that's a picture of us. We've all sinned. We're filthy. We deserve death and condemnation. But the charges don't stick. We're not condemned. Why? Because Jesus is our defense attorney. God has justified us. You know what? You know what justified to be justified means to be declared innocent, to be declared righteous. To be declared innocent. Because God loves you. He declares you holy. 
innocent, pure, and clean. Now, how does he do that? Through the work that Jesus Christ did on the cross. The one who paid for our crimes is himself, our defense attorney. He's there as our friend, pleading our cause. It says there in verse 32, Jesus came, he died. Our sins were placed upon him. He rose again. He's seated at the right hand of the throne of God, interceding for you. And when you placed your faith in him, the filthy garments were taken off. You were just... Declared clean and righteous. T. Robertson said, Our advocate paid the debt for our sins with his blood. The score is settled. Now and forever. God is your defender. God has made you righteous. After Satan accuses Joshua in Zechariah chapter 3, God moves and says, take away the filthy garments from him. And then he turns to Joshua and he says, see, I've removed your iniquity from you and I will clothe you with rich robes. And then God turns to the angels in in heaven and says, let them put a clean turban on his head. Take off the filthy robes. Put on the royal robes. Please understand, that's what God is. You are clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Because God loves you. We should all be like Isaiah the prophet, who said in Isaiah chapter 61, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God. For he's clothed me with the garments of salvation. He's covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself with ornaments and as a bride adorns herself with jewels, so God has done. You know, I I run across a lot of Christians who sort of lived a paralyzed Christian life. Maybe they look back to their past and they think of something that they did and something... And it, must have, it could have been really, really bad. And they regret it. And they, they live in that guilt. Listen, when you give your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, the blood of Christ washes away. It's brand new. Satan would have you live in past guilt. Keep you sitting on the bench doing nothing. Oh, I can't do anything. Now, as Christians, we should certainly, certainly, Seek to live a life that pleases the Lord, right? And live that holy life like we talked about. But, but Christians are going to make mistakes. And I know a lot of Christians, as soon as they blow it, they're so down on the God's mad at me. I'm done. I'm through. The blood of Christ washes away all sin. The Bible says, confess your sin and he will... He's justified to wash away your sins. He'll give you a brand new start. Satan would have you stay down. Get up. God loves you. 
He died for you. Your sins have been washed away. So think of that. Think of that. God loves you. He's for you. God loves you and in his love for you, he's protecting you. God loves you and in his love for you, he's providing for you. And God loves you and in his love for you, he defends you. And we also see in this passage that God's love for you is everlasting. It's permanent. Aren't you glad God isn't wishy-washy? Aren't you glad God doesn't love you the way some other people love you? Oh, you're kind of nice today. I love you today. Oh, you're not so nice today. I, I hate you today. God's not like that. Solid, secure, steadfast, now, forever. He loves you. Paul says, nothing and no one ever can separate you from the love of God. Verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Rhetorical question, what's the answer? No one. No one. Now, there are going to be difficult things that we will definitely have to endure in this life. He says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? When you become a Christian, that doesn't give you a carefree life where you never experience anything painful or hard. In fact, as a Christian, you can sometimes experience more pain and suffering because you become a target. And so, just like Paul, we can experience tribulation. It's a Greek word that means it's a squeezing. Things on the outside are pressing against you. We can experience distress. That's a word used to describe being caught in a tight place between high rocks. And this is an inner stress, an inner squeezing. As Christians, we can experience persecution. Persecution is a word that literally means to be hunted, cast out, famine, nakedness, dangers. Even the sword, the sword of martyrdom. There are folks in this world, there are enemies in this world that would want to do you great harm. Paul the Apostle experienced all this and more. But he still said, that can't separate me from the love of God. Nothing will separate you. From the love of God. Nothing. No pain. No hardship. Now see. Right now. There are some Christians. Who whenever something bad in life happens. They think. Oh God stop loving me. Oh I must have done this or that. No. You hang on. God loves you. And nothing will separate you. From his love. 
Skip down to verse 38. This is like the crescendo. Paul says, for I am persuaded, neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Can you say amen to that? Death, death will not separate you from the love of God. Life, you know, a lot of people are afraid of just living life, all the different perils in life. Life will not separate you. Angels, principalities, powers, that's speaking of all the demonic hordes, the spiritual forces of evil against you, they cannot separate you from the love of God. It would also speak of some of the government leaders and tyrants that have persecuted Christians over the years. The government can't separate you from the love of God. Anything present, nothing in time can separate you from the love of God. Nothing in the present. Is there something right now that you're facing that is just causing you anguish, hardship right now. Whatever that is, it can't separate you from the love of God. Anything that's coming, anything in the future, whatever might happen, that will not separate you from the love of God. Neither height nor depth. Wherever you go, you cannot be separated from God's love. Whether you be in the highest heavens or the lowest depths of the ocean. You're in God's love. And just in case Paul left anything out, he says in verse 39, nor any other created thing. Is there anything, anything, anyone that can separate you from God's love? There's nothing. One commentator said, death will not pull me away from God's love. Neither will life and its allurements, nor cosmic spiritual powers, nor anything in time, nor power, nor the height of heaven, nor the depth of hell, nor anything else, disappointment, neurosis, disease, a broken romance, financial crisis, insanity. Nothing. Nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. God loves you. He's with you. He's for you. He's your protector, your provider, your defender. He'll never leave you. You know, I thought a lot about one of my favorite psalms as I was studying through this. Psalm 23, I love that psalm. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I lack nothing. The Lord's my shepherd. He loves me. He provides for me. Leads me into the green pastures beside still waters. The Lord even prepares a table for me in the presence of my enemies. 
He's my protector. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. He's with me. He carries that rock, that rod and that staff to protect me from the wolves. Goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. God's love for me. A busy executive kept this abridged version of Psalm 23 in his pocket at all times. And he'd take it out and read it. And it just simply said, beneath me green pastures, beside me still waters, with me my shepherd, before me a table, around me mine enemies, after me goodness and mercy, beyond me the house of the Lord forever. Do you understand that you exist in the love of God? He's in front of you, behind you, to the right, to the left, above, below. Live your life knowing that. There's one more beautiful detail that Paul gives us here in verse 37. I love this. Yet in all these things, we are more than what? conquerors through him who loved us because God loves you you are more than a conqueror in all of these things that we just read about now this is hyperbole in the Greek language this is you are a super conqueror you are a super victor in other words all these things that might come against us, not only do they not defeat us, but God uses them to make us better. We trample them. Christian, you are not a coper. You're a super conqueror. In Christ Jesus, who loves you. Can I encourage you, if there were ever a passage that you might want to put to memory, this might be one. And can I encourage you as a Christian to remember how much God loves you and to think about that every day? Exist in that knowledge. You know what it'll do? It'll make you worship him daily. Be thankful to him daily. Be motivated to serve him daily. And certainly it'll motivate you to want to tell others about God's love. May you enjoy and experience it daily. Maybe there's some here this morning and you have not yet entered into the family of God. You've not yet received Christ, the greatest gift ever given to meet the greatest need of the human race. Bible says, for God so loved 
the world, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever would believeth in him would not perish, but have everlasting life and enter into that beautiful love relationship with God. Have you done that? Have you received him? Have you responded? I want you to have that opportunity right now. Let's bow our heads. Let's close our eyes. Lord, what a beautiful passage, so encouraging. And I pray that we would, those of us who, who, who know you, who are a part of your family, we would leave this place encouraged, encouraged by who you are, enjoying your love for us. Lift up the spirits of your people. May we live in confidence. And I pray, Lord, as we enjoy your love, that we would be those who give out love like that. And we would love one another and we would love others that you've placed in our life. And seek them, seek to tell them about your love. And with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, you need to know this. God loves you so much that he will not force himself into your life. He gives you the choice. There are people that reject him. There are people that say, well, I'm not a sinner. I don't need to be forgiven of any of that. Don't be that person. Receive him. Receive him. Look what he did for you. Understand the cost, the price that was paid. Please know how much he loves you and respond to that love. I want to invite you to place your faith in him to receive him right now. It involves just simply admitting before God that you are a sinner. Understanding that he died on that cross for you. Receive him as your savior. If that's you, just in the quietness of your heart right now. Lord Jesus, pray this. I receive you. I place my faith and trust in you. Thank you for dying on that cross for me. I want to be a child in your family. Wash away all my sins. Help me live for you. Oh, in Jesus' name. Amen.